Traders Point, how are we? Hey, it's so good to be with you today. And uh, I just want to put something on your radar before we get rolling today. It's something that's actually going to start here at the end of August and roll through the beginning of October. And these are what we're calling vision nights. And here's what they are. They're a chance for us to get together to celebrate, to look back and to see how faithful God has been through the history of our church. And then it's also a time to look ahead and to look at the vision we believe God is leading us to in this next season. And these nights are going to be incredible. Our lead pastor, Aaron's going to be there. Our executive pastor, Greg's going to be at each one of them. We're going to have kids ministry available. Worship is going to be going on. I'm telling you, these are nights you do not want to miss. So I just want to personally invite what, to you to attend whatever campus you call home. Make sure you get to one of these vision nights. If you're looking for more information, you can go to the link behind me. That'll give you all of the dates, all of the information. No need to RSVP, just show up. And I want to talk specifically to our Plainfield campus real quick because we are up first. All right, August 27th, 6 to 8 p.m. I'm going to be there. We'd love to see you there at our Plainfield campus. But for everyone, you guys excited for these vision nights? <laughs> Telling you, you don't want to miss it. But as far as today goes, we're continuing in our series, uh, Deconstruct, Reconstruct. And deconstruct, what we've said is, is really it's become an umbrella term that describes the process of someone leaving their faith. And we know it's, it's a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. So we want to be sensitive because a lot of times deconstruction happens after. After the pain, after the trial, after the abuse, after the questions just simply couldn't be answered or at least answered adequately. So we, we walk away from our faith. And so I just want to put it out there for all of us. If you're in that process right now, or maybe you're on the verge, or maybe you have some reservations when it comes to your faith and what you believe, can I just encourage you and tell you to keep coming? That deconstruction doesn't have to end with walking away, that it can actually end in reconstructing and building a new faith and a richer and deeper relationship with you and God. And that's what we're focused on in this series. We're not up here saying we have all the answers to all the questions and all the topics, but we want to be brave enough to have a conversation about them. And we want to put it out in the center of all the conversations that are happening around deconstruction. Questions like, why does God care who I sleep with Anyway, we're going to look at topics like, you know, gender dysphoria and transgender people. We're going to look at claims like, hasn't the Bible been used to oppress minorities and women? Like, what are we? And we're going to just every single week just kind of open up one of these and have an honest conversation. And we want to be thoughtful and yet theological on each one of these. And we don't want everything to just happen in the here and now. We want to come alongside you in this series. So we've put together a resource list. And you can scan this QR code. We've vetted a bunch of books. And we're just bringing them to you. So as you're working through this series and there's a topic that you want to know more about, you can find some additional reading here. As well as I just want to offer our pastoral team to you. That we want to come around you. If you want to have a conversation, you want to do more of a one-on-one, -on -one, pastors at every campus are available to you. But as far as today goes, we're going to be continuing this conversation. And, and here's the question we're going to be talking about. How can Jesus be the only way? Just a little a light one to begin. Uh, just throw that one out there. How can Jesus be the only way? This is a big one, right? 
Like, why does he have to be? Why can't it be all, you know, good people, you know, go to heaven? Or why can't it be all religions are the same and everyone gets there? Does it really need to be an exclusive claim like Jesus is the only way? And before we kind of jump into that, I just want to start with this question. Did Jesus believe that? Did Jesus believe he was the only way or did he allude to the fact that he was just one of many? What did Jesus say about who he thought he was? Let's start there and see. In John 14, verse six, he talks about this directly. And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Well, you know, um, There's no need, there's no like hidden meaning, there's no looking underneath the thing. I mean, when you read it, what does it sound like to you? Does it sound like he was saying he's just one of many ways? No, he says, I'm the way. Is there another way? He says, no, no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, this might be one of the most controversial and offensive claims that Christianity makes today. Within our pluralistic society, the idea that we would say that there's one way to do something, it bothers a lot of people. And so the alternative is, and what's being kind of given to us in today's culture sounds great on the surface, but it breaks down pretty quick. But it sounds something like this. Hey, listen, you can have your religion, you can have your faith, but all religions are the same, right? I mean, you just, you, you have a little bit, they have a little bit, but behave, get along. It's all the same anyways, just, okay? It's like, uh, I don't think so. I don't think that they all can be the same. But a lot of times this is the way it's depicted. It's used this old illustration. Maybe you've heard of it before, um, but it uses the blind men and the elephant, right? And the idea is that there's this group of blind men that are just wandering along and they all come into contact with an elephant. And the first one comes up to the elephant and he reaches out and he touches the tusk and he's like, whatever this thing is, I don't know what it is, but it's, I think it's a spear. That's what I'm feeling. And then the next one comes up and he's like, I think you're crazy. And he grabs the tusk and he he grabs uh, the nose and he's like, I think it's a, a snake. I'm pretty sure it's a snake. And then the next blind man walks up and he's like, I'm pretty sure we just hit a brick wall. Like this thing is huge and it's solid. I can't even touch the top of it. And then the next one comes and he's like, grabs a hold of the leg. And he's like, I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a tree. Pretty sure it's a tree. And the way that this picture is often used is to say, hey, that's what it's like for all religions. All religions are like blind men groping in the darkness, all feeling on the same thing, but describing it differently. So yeah, they're all kind of true, but they're kind of all wrong too, because they don't have the full picture. They can't see the whole thing. And it was Leslie Newbegin, who was a British like apologist and missionary, who was constantly bombarded with this picture. And people would come to him and they say, hey, what, what gives you the right? Why are you pushing Jesus the way you are? Like, look at this picture. Religion, it's just a multiple different ways to describe the same thing. You just have a, a piece of it. And then one day he kind of had an epiphany. And he was sitting there thinking about their claims and what they were saying. And he came to this conclusion, the only way that you can tell me that I'm only seeing a piece of the elephant is that if you're claiming to see the whole elephant. So what you're doing is doing the very thing that you're accusing me of. You're making a superior claim. So we're back to square one. So what do we do? 
I think we have to come into the reality that we all make exclusive truth claims. And truth by its very nature excludes, right? Because this is true, it means these other things can't be true. But before we dive in today, I, I want to be very clear of the truth that I'm talking about. Right? I'm going to use this photo to de demonstrate what I'm talking about when I'm talking about truth. So this picture is of a family. Yeah, I, I, uh, I noticed this morning that I'm wearing the same shirt in the picture that I am <laughs> today. I promise I have more than three shirts. I have four. Um, but when... If I told you to look at this picture and then I made this claim and I said, hey, that woman in the middle is the mother of those children. And I, and I brought that to you as truth. You probably wouldn't argue. And if you did, I would give you evidence. I would say, hey, I, I was there. I was at the birth. I saw them come from her into this world. I saw most of them. I saw three out of four. I passed out once, right? But... <laughs> For the most part, I was there, I saw it. And you wouldn't argue with me on that. You would say, okay, that sounds true. And part of that is because it's a unique truth claim. There's nobody else signing up to say, I'm the mother of those children. She's the one that birthed them. She's the one taking care of them. She's the one feeding them every day. And I know nobody else is going in on that because I alone am paying for the snack budget. And if you would like to contribute to that fund, let me know after service. But Here's what I want us to look at when we talk about Jesus today. I'm not making claims of good, better, or best. I'm making the truth claim is, is Jesus who he says he is? Is he really the way, the truth, and the life? And is there evidence that supports that claim? And what is unique about Jesus? What is he claiming that no other world religions are claiming? And so this is twofold for people. Maybe you started coming to church and you started to think about maybe putting your faith in Jesus, but you're like, is there really any difference between this and something else? Should I keep looking around? What's, what's unique about Christianity? And I'd say that for the other group, maybe it's you've always been in your faith. As long as you can think about it, you've just believed and it's and it's never been hard for you until recently when you started meeting people from different backgrounds. And then you really started to wonder, is there anything unique about my faith? And can my faith be substantiated? Is there evidence for me to believe what I believe or is this just a blind faith that I stumbled into? That's what we're gonna be looking at today. The unique claims that Jesus and Jesus alone are making. And I think, I hope by the end of it, we'll see that we're not looking at the same elephant. Because if we deconstruct Christianity down to its most essential parts, it is very different than anything else. And so if you're taking notes, the, the three unique claims that we're going to look at are the person of Jesus, the path to Jesus, and then the purpose of Jesus, what we do with him once we believe, okay? So let's just start with the person of Jesus. How is Jesus as a leader and as a founder of Christianity different than every other world religion? Well, when you look at the other religions of the world, they are usually started by a human. It is a prophet or a teacher who believes they have received a revelation from God and now they are sharing it with the world. 
They are human signposts pointing to God, saying, follow me, do these things, and you will make your way towards God and you will receive salvation. Jesus says something dramatically different. He doesn't say that I'm a prophet. He says, I am God. That is, that's a fundamentally different claim than anyone else. And I want you to really just spend some time thinking about that. And to put it in context for you, I created a fun Venn diagram because Venn diagrams, as everyone knows, are fun. So the first circle I want you to think about are people who change the world. Who could you put in that circle? I'm talking people that have changed the way history went, changed the way we think, changed the way we treat people. I don't know, changed our whole calendar system. Who are those people that you would put in that circle? But then I want you to draw another circle and I want you to make a list of the people who claim to be God. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. There's a lot of people who have claimed to be God over the years. You can YouTube this right now. Right now, You will see thousands of people claiming to be God. But the question I wanna ask you, did they also change the world? No, they probably haven't even changed their underpants. Like you're not looking at them <laughs> and believing them because there's no evidence behind their claim, right? But when you look at these two circles, and you see people who change the world and you see a person who claimed to be God, the only one that I know of that fits in the middle of these two is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who lived a life and made the claim, who made the claim that I am God and lived such a beautiful and good life that people saw him and said, I think he's right. They saw, they saw miracles. They saw these teachings that they had never heard before. It was revolutionary and it caused them to believe that this really was God. So the next thing I wanna put in front of you is just another question. Did Jesus believe he was God? Or is this just something that we inherited? Is this something that people later down the road started to impose on Jesus? Or has it been there all along? The short answer is yes. Jesus claimed over and over again that he was God. And this really offended the religious people. And by offend, I mean they tried to kill him. There was once where they were about to do it. They pick up rocks. They're about to sling them at his head. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you going to kill me because I'm doing miracles? And they're like, no, we're not going to kill you because you're doing miracles. We're killing you because you're claiming to be God. And look at Jesus' response. He says, hey, don't believe me. Unless, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. In the evidence. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. So he's saying, hey, listen, don't just take my claims. Put it on the other side too. Look at the evidence that I am presenting you. And do we have any evidence of this miraculous that Jesus is talking about. Yeah, here, this is a list and it is not even an exhaustive list, but I just wanna go through a handful of the miracles that Jesus did. Look at this, first miracle, Jesus changed water into wine. What's not to love about this guy, right? <laughs> Jesus feeds 5,000 with a brown bag lunch. He takes a little bit of food meant for one person, blesses it and distributes it to 5,000 people. We see in the scriptures that Jesus heals a man with leprosy. He touches the untouchable. That man is healed. And at the same time, he's not infected. 
Jesus cured a woman who suffered for 12 years. Jesus cast out an evil spirit, showing that he had power over the spiritual world. Jesus stilled the storm, which was a really big deal because back then the seas, storms, they were the most powerful, they were the most chaotic. No one had control over them except for God. And he silenced a storm with a word, showing that he had power over this physical world. Jesus heals a paralyzed man and forgives sins. Who forgives sins but God alone? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, proving that he had power over life and death. And then finally, Jesus himself rose from the dead. And I want this list to be overwhelming to you in some ways, but I also want you to think about this. Here's the evidence that Jesus is putting forth of why he is who he said he is. Because he came and he proved Let the evidence show that he has power over life, power over death, power over sins, power over the spiritual world, power over the physical world, power over life and death itself. And I know what you're thinking because some of you are skeptical just like I'm skeptical. And your question is, how do we know this isn't just a myth? How do we know all of these miracles weren't just added in after the fact hundreds of years or thousands of years later? That's a good question. And the short answer is the timeline is just too close. You see, the written accounts that we have were taken and distributed during the same lifetime. To get legend or myth, you need a big gap between when something happens and when it's published. Hundreds, if not thousands of years, and you just don't have that in these accounts. That's not what the scriptures show us. And one of the biggest finds in recent years was a creed that was found in 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians is a book that was written about 53 to 55 AD, still pretty close to the resurrection of Jesus. But even within that letter, there's a creed that Paul recites that predates him predates this letter or any letter that we have. And I want you to see this. This is what the first believers believed. This isn't what was added in or what we believe today. What they believed is what we believe, and it's never changed. And a lot of historians timestamp this this creed from anywhere from a few months to after the resurrection to up to a few years. But take a look at what they believed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Paul says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saved you. And if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. But here it is. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Didn't start with him. Here's the creed. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Look at this. Most of whom are still alive. Go talk to them, though some have died. Then He was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So this is what they believed from the very beginning. They believe Jesus came. They believe he was the son of God. They believe he died and was buried. And in that death, he paid the penalties for the sins of the world. 
And once again, proving the miraculous. He raised from the dead on that third day, defeating sin and death and the power that it has over all of us. And then he has offered us into this way of life, of following him. This is what they have believed from the very beginning. And I just want to give you just a little bit more of as we continue to work through the evidence that is before us. What evidence do we have of the resurrection? Because that's a big claim to make. And I know that's hard to hear to believe that a man died but then rose from the dead. I get it. And the only way you can get there to believe it is to believe it's a miracle. But what I will say is no matter what worldview you choose to believe, you're going to need at least one miracle. Scientists will tell you this. Even those that believe in the Big Bang, you trace it all the way back. They'll say, just give me one miracle because they need one. Because how else do you get from nothing to something? So, but they say, if you give me that one, I'll make sense of the rest of the world. I'm going to make the same claim. If you can place your faith and believe in the resurrection and the evidence behind it, you can make sense of everything else. And here's some of the evidence that we have that the resurrection really did happen. It's an empty tomb. They were never able to produce a body. The most powerful regime in the world would have wanted to stop this before it ever got out. If they could have produced a body, they would have. In N.T. Wright's book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, he looks and studies very scholarly work on the most historical conclusions that we could come to on why things happened the way that they did. And one of the most plausible answers is that he truly did resurrect. The second one is this, the, the testimony of what's, what's in here. And by, by that, really, I mean the testimony of women. Scriptures say that the women were the first ones to see Jesus as he resurrected. Now, I say that because a woman's testimony was invalid. It, it was useless. So if they wanted to make their case and they wanted it to really, really be airtight and believable, they would have removed that piece. They could have started with, he came in, to the apostles. He came to the 500. They didn't need to start there, but they did which tells me if they wanted to remove something from the story or add something to the story, they would have started there, but they didn't. So that leads me to believe that the rest of the accounts are true. And maybe the biggest piece of evidence that we can have that a resurrection really happened and a man was dead, but then raised three days later is the impact of the resurrection on the disciples. If you remember at this time when Jesus goes to a cross, everyone is terrified, everyone is running, everyone is turning their back on Jesus. But then something happens. These men and women somehow find this newfound courage and they go from hiding, from hiding to standing firm. And they go against mobs and new cities and government officials and they stand and they say that there's nothing that is going to stop us from speaking the gospel, even if it meant death. And a lot of them died and they had nothing to gain from it. Even those that were closest to him, his family, his brother, who didn't believe until after the resurrection, now believe that Jesus was who he said he was. The most logical conclusion you can get to is that these people saw a man murdered one day, and then they saw him walking around the next. And they said, I don't know a lot, but I'm going to follow him. The evidence of the resurrection is there. The second claim that I just want to present to you today is that of the path to Jesus. We see that the path that Jesus offers is radically different than any other path that is presented out there. But we try to group all religions together and we say that, hey, isn't it all just different routes to get to the same place in the end? 
Like, isn't that what religion really is? It just helps you throughout your life. It gives you some virtues, some ethics that you can kind of cling to as you make your way through this world. So if you think about it through this graphic of like, it's just multiple, ra- mul- multiple routes. And we have this starting place when we believe, and depending on what you believe, it may take you this way, but if you believe something else, it'll take you this way. And then you'll end with God. You'll end in heaven. And here's the idea that these religions, what they do is they carve a way for you. They help you make your way through, whether that's a Tibetan prayer wheel, whether that's these virtues that you get to, whether it's this knowledge that you acquire or this language that you learn, these pillars that you live your life by, you continually make these sacrifices little by little and you continue going. But when do you find out you've arrived? When do you find out you've got there and that you've done enough? Well, for most world religions, the arrival time is death. You have no security along the way. You don't know how long you'll get to go. You don't know how long you have to go. But you just continue to go and you take what you have and you continue doing more and more and more. But once again, what Christianity offers is something very, very different. Look at this, what it says in Hebrews 10. He says, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice to sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Look at this. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Do you see how different it is? So I want you to go back to this map. And if this describes world religions and that as you go, it's going to help you get there. This is religion, the basic concept, man's effort to get to God. And I'm gonna use this ethic and I'm gonna use this way to prayer and I'm gonna use this way to live and I'm gonna go after it. I'm gonna do and do and do until it is done. All of these routes getting me to God. But I wanna ask you, what would the map of Christianity look like? Well, it would look something very different. It would say you have arrived. There is no route that you have to take. There is no thing that you have to do. There's no language you have to learn. There's no knowledge that you have to require. There's no coming to the end and questioning did the good outweigh the bad. Because Christianity is fundamentally different. It's not man making his way towards God. It's God making his way towards man. And he's already arrived. He's already come. He's already satisfied all that needed to be done with that one sacrifice. Look at what it says in Ephesians. It says, God saved you by his grace. And when did he do it? When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Do you see how it is uniquely different from anything else? In the person of Jesus, he is not just claiming to be another prophet. He's claiming to be God himself. And he did things that only God could do. And the path is fundamentally different. They're not routes going to the same place when one is telling you to spend your life going for it and do more and to work harder. And the other says, you have already arrived. God has come near to you. And the final piece, the the final unique claim that I'll offer you today is the purpose of it all. What do we do with our faith? 
Who does it help us to become and what are we supposed to do with it anyway? The purpose of it. I think if you look at a lot of world religions, the idea is that you are acquiring this to help you connect with your God better and to connect with those around you that specifically that you believe in are following the same God as you. It gives you a way to live in community with them. On two different extremes. It either tells you how to love those people that are like you, or it teaches you to love nothing and to completely detach yourself from the world. Those are the kind of two extremes. But what everyone pretty much agrees on is that this world is terrible. The physical world is useless. We're just waiting until we can be beamed up out of here and to get away. That's the idea of most religions and the purpose of it. But we see Christianity is very different on every single level. Because Christianity doesn't just say love the people that look like you or believe what you believe. No, it starts from the foundation of why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Not a group of people, not an ethnicity. God loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That for those who believe they will be saved and they have eternal life and they will not find condemnation. It is for the world. Very, very different teaching. And that's why this unity that comes from it is nothing like anything else we've ever seen. That's what it says in Galatians, that for now, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer free nor slave. There is no longer man or woman. All are one in Christ. This is a unifying. All people are welcome. Where did they get this? They got it from Jesus, who modeled it perfectly. Not to just love those who love him. What gain is that? No. As he was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And then he gave teachings like, no, no, don't just love the people that believe you or that are in your family. No, love your enemies. Love those that hate you. And it created such a beautiful community and still is creating a world that this world has never seen. Why is that? Because the purpose is different. Christianity isn't about waiting until one day we get beamed out of here. Christianity is about the restoring and the reclaiming of all things, of a new heaven, but also a new earth. Look at this in Revelation. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. This is the word of the Lord. These are the promises that he is making. And there is no greater purpose for our lives. Think about that. We're not waiting or shrinking back. We have purpose right now. And our purpose, our identity, is not found in how good we do something, but it's found in who we are, an identity that is already established. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we are children of God. We are sons and daughters. His identity has been established. 
And so the purpose that we have been given, which is unlike anything else, we have now been chosen to partner with God in the restoring and renewing of all things. That me and you, by the Spirit of God, walking hand in hand, restoring things back to the, thing, to the way God always wanted them to be. That me and you, we get to work towards that. This idea of we're going to do our best to bring heaven to earth until one day the two are one. There's not a more beautiful purpose or life that we could give ourselves to. And this is what Jesus offers. Unique in every way. But I also know maybe you're sitting here thinking, but what about those who have never heard? If you're saying faith comes from hearing and believing in Jesus and what he's done, what about those that never heard the gospel? What about those in the remote parts of the world who never got a chance to hear about God's gracious gift of salvation? What about them? And I can humbly stand here before you and say, I don't know. I love the way Dr. Tim Keller says it. He says, I'm on a need to know basis with God. He hasn't given me everything, but he's given me some things. And what I do know is that Jesus is the only way I know to get to God. And what I do know is that we all have been given some revelation. Romans talks about this general revelation, meaning when you go out into this created world, you look at it and in the back of your mind and in your heart, it's almost like you know there is a God behind it. And we will be responsible for that level of revelation that we have been given. What I know is that God is more gracious and more just and more loving than me or you. So I don't know how it shakes out in the very end and what that'll look like, but I know a few things. I know that it will be fair and it will be loving. And what I also know is that question no longer applies to any of us. Because as of today, we have all heard the gospel, the good news that saves, the sacrifice that has made perfect those that he is making holy. And what I just wanna do right now is to create a space for you to respond, to go back to that ancient creed and give you a chance to respond and to receive the free gift of salvation that is in the name of Jesus. Unique to him, only him, only he is offering this. So right where you are, I'm just gonna give you a time just to, to lean in, to bow your heads, close your eyes, And if you're ready to make that your own, you're ready to make that prayer and to begin following Jesus, just repeat after me. And then for those of us who've maybe been following Jesus for a long time, but maybe the evidence today is overwhelming and you wanna get back to it and you wanna follow after him and you wanna be a part of the life he's calling you to, I I encourage you to pray this too. And if it's maybe a little bold, but I'd ask you to pray it out loud. Just repeat these lines after me. Join us in prayer. Father, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for not just the sins of the world, but for my sins. I believe Jesus was buried but I believe he raised from the dead 
Father, I receive your gracious gift of salvation. I receive it through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Amen. Church, can we celebrate everyone who prayed that prayer for the first time? And if that was you, you prayed that prayer today, you're seeing Jesus for who he is, you wanna begin to follow him, we wanna continue celebrating. At all of our campuses, we're gonna have people at the front of the stage, please do not leave here without talking to someone. Or maybe you're on the fringe and you're working through some things and you've seen hope for the first time and you just wanna come talk with someone, pray with someone, once again, do not leave here without talking to someone. Church, as you go, I just want you to know we love you and I'd wanna take this moment to invite you back next week as we continue the conversation. Love you guys, enjoy your day, have an even better week. See you next Sunday.